Amen. Go ahead and get in your Bible to 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, it's great to have you in class. Uh, I love to see people who are seeking to invest in their marriage, uh, looking to increasingly learn and apply what God has said about relationships. Uh, I mean, God has a way uh, in every area of life that is better than man's way. Uh, I think most people here know that proverb, there is a way that seemeth right unto a man, uh, but the end thereof is ways of death. And uh, this is actually our next to the last week of marriage uh, class. And then uh, for those of you who have Sunday school classes, you can just go back to those. And if you are a young uh, adult and uh, don't have a Sunday school class, I hope you'll stay uh, in here and we'll start something else. Um, Then it will be, I guess, the second Sunday in, in September. Uh, I'll be away the first Sunday in, in September uh, fishing. Um, I'm kind of torn uh, on what to teach in our last week, next week. Uh, I'm uh, torn between just spending a week answering questions and spending a week uh, teaching on divorce. Um, I think uh, a lot of times uh, we don't really understand what the scriptures teach, and I think sometimes it's easy to sit there if you're in a good place in your marriage and say, well, that's dumb, I don't even need to hear that. Uh, but I think it's good to know because sometimes it'll motivate you in, in weak times you know, to fight for your marriage. You know, it, it, it's, uh, there's good reasons to, uh, to do that. Um, and so uh, today, un- unlike in the last week's, you know, on that little sheet, uh, if just write down your opinion. Uh, write down a question that you uh, feel like I uh, didn't answer to, you know, uh, the adequacy of uh, you, uh, which is good, and uh, whether you think I ought to answer questions or teach on divorce next week, and um, you know, I would be interested in your opinion. Uh, in the interest of time, uh, today I'm not going to uh, repeat those initial things that we've gone over eight times uh, now. I hope those are deeply implanted in your mind and heart by now, uh, and so as our custom has been, I'm going to answer questions, and since last week's lesson was about minimizing conflict with our family, our our questions are all about that. Here's question one. Is it right to judge and treat a family member differently based on their past? Uh, The first thing you need to always recognize is that there are some uh, words and some things that are talked about in American Christianity that are just inaccurate. And one of those is this whole idea you're not supposed to judge. We are actually commanded to judge. I mean, Paul said, judge ye what I say. I mean, how can you abstain from all appearance of evil if you can't judge what appears to be evil? How can you cleave to that which is good if you can't judge that which is good and that which is bad? It's, it's really dumb, but, you know, that's the world in which we live. And so, in the sense of condemnation, that, that's God's business. Uh, but in the sense of comparing what we see in here with the Bible, you know, to know what's right and wrong. I mean, that, that's the kind of judging we're supposed to do. And so, uh, in light of that, the answer to, to your question, uh, it depends on what they did. If you mean by that, don't judge your family member who molested little girls uh, and leave your daughter with them overnight alone, uh, I think that's foolish. You know, uh, forgiveness and consequences are two different things. Uh, if you mean by that somebody molested in your family, molested a little girl and has gotten saved and sought God's forgiveness and you don't speak to them, 
You know, I, I don't think that's right. I, I think there is a kind of kindness and warmth we should display to everybody, uh, including someone who's done things we all know to be terribly evil. Um, you know, that's between them and God. But on the other hand, you, you know, you have a responsibility to protect your children. And you have a responsibility to protect your personhood, too. You know, and it's not just your children are valuable, you're valuable. And so, you know, those things balance those out. Question number two, what is a reasonable amount of time to spend with in-laws each month? Um, it would be nice if there was a standard answer. You know, because sometimes, you know, your in-laws are stinkers. And uh, you want to honor them like the scripture teaches. But, you, you know, you just don't want to be around them. And you want to find out how much time do I have to put in and not displease God. Uh, so, so the answer to the question is there isn't a standard amount of time. It depends on how controlling your parents are. Uh, depends on how easily you or your spouse are controlled. Depends on the specific needs of the children and the parents. There's some needs t- seasons in life when parents need s- special time and attention and uh, when an adult child needs special time and attention. Uh, the answer depends on what kind of influence uh, those parents are in your marriage and children. You know, listen, I mean, some parents, they're, they're ungodly, they're selfish, they're controlling, and you know what? There's other ones that they're godly, and they help you, and, and in every way, they're a blessing to you. And, and so there's no standard answer. Um, you, you know, you and your spouse, you need to get peace with God and, and balance these issues of, you know, honoring your father and mother with, the fact that your home, your family unit, is supposed to be an independent uh, family unit. Um, question three, how do I handle my in-laws' intrusive and controlling behavior? Um, the first thing you need to do is, is be honest about whether their behavior is actually intrusive and controlling. You know, I, 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 again, if you've, you've heard me answer a lot of questions like this, because I, I don't think we are honest sometimes about, you know, our evaluation of situations. You know, uh, are they really intrusive? Are they really controlling? Or is it just, you know, they're different from your parents? Um, answer that question. And if you and your spouse determine that, hey, they really are intrusive and they really are controlling, uh, I've given you this answer 15 times. Uh, Make the situation a matter of prayer. Uh, Come up with a a couple of clear examples. Uh, Pick a good time. Pick pick a good tone. And the biological child should have an adult conversation with their parents. And don't go into it thinking they're just going to pat you on the head and say, wow, thank you for correcting me. Um, I mean, if they're reasonable people, and most people are at least somewhat reasonable, uh, as some time goes on, um, you know, your conversation with them will, will have some effect. Um, again, protect the independence of your own home and honor uh, your father and mother. Uh, when we get to today, today's thought, and uh, I hope you've seen through all of these lessons that uh, a healthy relationship with God is a key to every relationship we have, I mean, especially our, our marriage. Um, but people without God in their life, at times they have good marriages. Uh, now, they have good marriages because they follow biblical principles in their home, 
without God being involved. Uh, I mean, God's principles for good relationships, they work whether God's involved or not. Uh, that's why some people with Christ in their life, they have an unhappy home. They have believed God when it comes to what God said about how to live forever by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, and they have not believed God when it comes to how do you live your life. Uh, other people, uh, without God, they have happy marriages. They have not believed God when it says to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and so when they die, it mean they're going to go to hell. Uh, but they have obeyed without thinking about God and how to handle their marriage. And so they have, uh, you know, they have a blessed home. In an ideal situation, uh, the best marriages that there are always when two people both believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, love the Lord, love each other, and are trying to apply what God says. And um, that's the very best scenario. And, but this morning, I don't want to talk about how to have a healthy relationship with God. I do that all the time. Uh, this morning, what I want to do is talk about um, how we can make our marriages grow warmer instead of colder, grow, grow closer instead of more distant. Uh, over the years, I've heard a lot of people say something along the lines of, well, we've just grown apart. Uh, you may be here this morning feeling uh, that way. Uh, but whenever somebody grows apart, in some way, carelessness is, is always involved. Uh, and whenever it happens, we can always, again, just choose to grow back together. Uh, none of us, human beings, we're not like sunflowers, just programmed to follow the, the sun. Uh, you and I choose where our focus is. You and I choose, you know, which way we grow. And several questions along these lines have been turned in. How can we grow closer? How can we love each other more? How can we be sure we stay committed for life? How can we build our marriage? How can we make our marriage more stable? How can we keep our marriage strong? And at the root of all those questions is the question I want to answer today. How can we keep our relationship warm? Uh, it should be in your Bible in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And uh, if you're familiar with the Bible, you know that 1 Corinthians 13 is one of several key chapters uh, in the Bible, if we think of the word faith, we go to Hebrews 11. If we think of the word resurrection, 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. When we think about the word love, we think about 1 Corinthians 13. And in verse 4, it says, Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. Doth not behave itself unseemly. Seeketh not her own. Is not easily provoked. Notice this quality thinketh no evil. Here's number one for making your marriage grow closer and, and warmer. Purposely choose to keep your mind right. <laughs> keep your mind on the qualities of your spouse that you love rather than those that irritate you. Keep your mind on the things your spouse is doing well instead of the areas your spouse is failing at. Keep your mind on the aspects of your marriage that are strong instead of those that are weak. Uh, one of the hardest things about uh, this is that, you know, when you're married, you know, you know everything about your spouse. You know all their strengths, you know all their weaknesses, you're with them, and, and all the things that you were hiding when you were dating and, and engaged, they've all come out. And so basically, 
we know the negatives of that person better than anyone, and that's why someone else from a distance always seems more appealing. When in reality, whoever it is, if we were close to them, they would just have a different set of, of negatives. And um, the things we allow to fester and dwell in our minds, it's one of the most neglected areas of the Christian life. Uh, I personally believe most all of the uh, lack of emotional health uh, in our society, and in Christians in particular, is a failure in this area. Uh, a failure to really work on keeping our mind right. Uh, keeping our mind right, it's a key to a healthy relationship with Jesus and with our spouse, so we have to purposely do this. Uh, nestled in all those qualities uh, for love is thinketh no evil. Love thinketh no evil. Uh, love doesn't think the worst about people first. It assumes the best and stump, instead of jumping to bad conclusions. Love doesn't allow our mind to keep dwelling on the negative aspects of our spouse or our marriage. It battles to keep dwelling on good things. Uh, people with good emotional health uh, do a good job at keeping their mind right. People with bad emotional health always, at least in part, don't do well at keeping their mind on the right kinds of things. Um, listen, every person has strengths and weaknesses. Every marriage has strengths and weaknesses. And so while we work to improve these weaknesses, it's important that we keep our mind on their strengths. Uh, go in your Bible to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. And, and though most believers make no effort or little effort to actively keep their mind right, the Bible has a lot to say about our minds. Uh, we're familiar with the greatest command uh, in the Bible, according to the Lord Jesus, to love the Lord with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind and all of our strength. But we don't th think about the fact that there is a way we love God with our mind, a way we think that reflects love for God. Notice Paul here tells these believers to purposely think on good things in Philippians 4.8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Uh, 1 Corinthians 2.16 about it, talks us, about us having the mind of Christ. Second uh, Timothy one seven talks about us having a sound mind. If I was going to pick something that was at the root of a lot of disagreements that get out of hand, a lot of times when we will say something that was way too extreme, at the root of that, most of the time, is somebody who allowed their mind to dwell in negative things. Most of the time, it's not like the negative things about our spouse aren't real. Uh, it's just simply that if we allow our mind to dwell on those negative things, it makes them bigger instead of smaller. Dwelling on negative shrinks the positives, causes us to lose sight of what's good, moves us to be harsh more quickly. Uh, again, the negative things that, that you think and I think uh, and my wife thinks uh, about our spouse, it's not like those negatives aren't real. 
But if we let our mind dwell on those, it pushes out all the positive things and makes those negatives to be bigger and eventually just corrupts our mind. Uh, God gave us this command on purpose. He knew how our fallen nature would work in our mind. He knew how Satan would work in our mind. If you haven't yet figured out the battlefield for your life is actually in your mind because long before something comes out of your mouth or shows up in your behavior, it was dwelling in your mind. You're missing where the real battle is. Uh, I'm not pretending that uh, there aren't any negatives to improve on. I'm just saying we need to purposely dwell on positives. Uh, if you come to me uh, with a problem in your marriage, and uh, a specific problem, we're going to talk about that problem. Uh, if you come to me and um, just say, hey, you know, we're, we're struggling, before we talk about that problem, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you, list three things that are positive about your spouse. And I do that purposely. Because what happens is when we're having problems and when we're struggling with each other, we forget all the things that we do like about them. You say, Brother Wally, what can I do to help me in this? What can I do to win more battles uh, in my mind? Uh, here's the first thing. Make having your mind towards your spouse a matter of prayer. Uh, everybody in here understands what I'm talking about when, when, when I say it's easy for our mind to go negative. To, to think the bad things about our spouse. It's, it's easy for all of us. The areas of our marriage that you know, could stand to be improved. Make it a matter of prayer. Uh, God help my thoughts and my mind and my thinking to be better. Every day. Here's the second practical thing. When you catch your mind going negative, stop. <laughs> Ask God to help you. Ask God to forgive you for dwelling on those negatives. Uh, purposely think about the good things about your spouse, about your marriage. Uh, begin to pray for that person. Listen, it's very tough for our mind to stay really negative when we're saying, God, uh, please help my, my, my husband. God, please help my wife. You, you know how hard their work is sometimes, and you know the pressure they've been under lately. God, please help. It's just really hard when you're praying for them to let bad things fester in your mind. Here's the third thing you can do to help. Consider whether there's anyone in your life who regularly fuels the negative thoughts toward yourself, toward your spouse. Uh, you know, a lot of times we have a friend or a family member who is just throwing gas on the fire. And you need to be honest. Uh, early in our marriage, we had someone in our life who was just always criticizing me to, to my wife. And, you know, we were young. And... You know, quite frankly, you know, there's plenty of negatives about me, but they certainly didn't need to be magnified. And be honest, is there somebody like that that's fueling that? And, and if you're, you're stuck around them all the time, be on guard. If you're not stuck around them time, you know, limit how much you're around them. Here's the fourth practical thing you can do to help. Uh, make a list of 30 or 40 things or more that are good about your spouse. It'll help you just to make the list. Now, some people, you're list makers, and you need to write it down. Other people, you, you know more, you can just come up with 30 or 40 things in your mind and, and, and get your mind that way. But, you know, sometimes it, it's good when you're really struggling with your spouse, get that list out. 
One of the keys to making and keeping our marriage relationship warm is to purposely battle negativity in our mind toward them. Uh, are you doing that? Uh, it's a good question. I honestly think, uh, I think most people don't. I think we undervalue what we allow to just fester in our minds. And because we undervalue it, you know, we have way too many negative thoughts and bad things that come out in our life because we don't battle it in our mind. Uh, go to Ephesians chapter 5. We'll talk about a second thing. And again, what I just said, probably half of the people in here you say, man, that's stupid. L- listen, that is one of the keys to having a good attitude, a key to staying positive in life. Uh, it is a tool to battle depression. It, it, on and on and on are the benefits of you and I keeping our mind right. Uh, listen, uh, that is a command. Think on these things. Uh, and it'll just help. Here's the second thing we can do to uh, keep our marriages warm and growing closer. Purposely choose to fight taking your spouse for granted. Choose to fight taking your spouse for granted. Listen, it's easy to take our spouse for granted. It's natural for us to take our spouse for granted. You and I need to do the supernatural thing. Taking our spouse for granted is very, very common in marriage. We need to do the uncommon thing to keep our marriage warm. You say, Brother Wally, what can I do to fight against taking my spouse for granted, to purposely do? Well, the first thing you need to do is purposely make time for one another. And I've talked about this on and off in here uh, in the class. Uh, Ephesians 5, verses 15 and 16 says, See then that you walk circumspectly. That means exactly or, you know, perfectly. Or See that you walk in circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. One of the ways to walk circumspectly and to walk as wise instead of a fool is to redeem your time, to use your time wisely. Uh, you know, it's hard to face up to the fact we've all got the same number of hours in each day, and yet across the face of this room and across the spectrum of our country, you know, people get a lot done and, and people don't get anything done for the same number of hours. Uh, And at the root of that is carelessly handling our life and time. We need to purposely make time for your spouse. Do you do that? Say, Brother Wally, how much time is enough? I don't know the answer to that. Um, Brother Roulette, who's going to speak at our revival this fall, a very seasoned guy, greatly used of God, uh, built a church running over a thousand people. You know, it's just an incredibly busy human being. And I asked him, I said, uh, you know, Brother Roulette, I said, I'm just so busy, I, I don't feel like I do anything well. And he really almost without hesitation said, you know, the busier you get doing good things, the more you're going to feel that you don't do anything well. And the reality of it is, is what we're doing is instead of comparing how what we're doing to a balanced life. We're comparing what we're doing to what is the very best I could do in that area if I didn't have anything else to do. And uh, you're going to feel like that. I mean, some of you are young enough 
uh, and still just getting going in life and ministry, you're not there yet. But sooner or later, you're going to just get to the place where you feel like, wow, I, I don't have any time for anything. And you, you need to make time for your spouse. I don't know how much time is enough. <laughs> make time. Here's some practical suggestions for making time to invest in our relationship, to keep it warm and close. Uh, when your children are young, give them an early bedtime. Um, you know, 7.30 when they're real young. You know, maybe when they're up to 8 or 10, 8.30. The reason we don't do that is that moms are, that are at home, you don't want your kids to get up early. And what you're doing is you're trading time alone with your spouse uh, for you to sleep in the morning. Uh, put your kids to bed. Uh, here's the second thing. If your kids are older, after spending some time with them, go in the other room. Leave the kids. You know, once they're bedtime, you know, go back with them, take them up to bed, tuck them in. I mean, every night I, uh, I was home, I tucked my boys in, told them a Bible story, had prayer with them. Um, make time. Budget time and money for weekly dates. Uh, if you don't have money, go for a walk in the park. It's free. Go through your neighborhood. Go to Walmart. Watch the other shoppers. You, you know, there, there's, there, there, there's lots of ways to find entertainment. I, I mean, I got home Friday night at 1 a.m. She didn't even get out of bed to get up and hug and kiss me or anything. Of course, she had to get up at 4.30 for work, so... It's all right. But she basically uh, worked uh, 12 hours yesterday. Uh, so what'd you guys do together? Well, we got Chinese food and we went and sat in my truck and went over to the park to watch the guys fly um, their little airplanes around. Uh, as it turned out, they were all packing them up. So we got to watch them talk and pack them up. But it's free. See, the problem is, is we have this idea it's not quality time unless we go to Ruth Chris Steakhouse. I, mean, I don't think we've ever even been there that I know of. Um, make time. So we don't have money to do anything. Uh, well, first off, you should always be saving money. And what I would say to you is stop saving so much for retirement if you're failing to invest in your relationship now. Uh, listen, I'd much rather, um, for those of you who plan for retirement, and I believe everybody should, you know, if, if you have to save X to retire at 65, save X minus something and retire at 67. What's the point of, of living for a time you might or not have in the future when you don't live now? It's just dumb. I'm not saying don't save. I'm not saying uh, don't prepare for the future. You should. I I'm trying to get you to invest in your relationship now. Well, we can't afford a babysitter. Well, yeah, you can. Swap babysitting with some other couple who can't afford babysitting. Put your kids in bed at 7.30 and uh, have somebody come up by and watch the house while they're in bed and then go somewhere from 7.45 to 11. The truth is, is it's not the money. It's that we don't, we don't make the time on purpose. 
And then we wonder why we're not close. We wonder why it's, we're not warm. We, we, it's our own fault. Budget time and money for vacations. Now, I don't, you know, I go, we go on vacation and, man, people are renting Jeeps and they're renting jet skis and, and all that stuff. Uh, you know, our vacation was, we went to the beach. That was the vacation. And uh, we would uh, have breakfast in the condo. Uh, we would have sandwiches for lunch in the condo. And we might go somewhere for dinner. And maybe once in the week go somewhere a little nicer than McDonald's. And you know what? The kids had a blast. And we did too. Say no to family and friends when you haven't had time together. Decide you'd rather be with your spouse than with your friends or family. Listen, if, if we grow apart, it's our own fault. Most weeks, Sharon and I, we will go to lunch together. Um, you know, some of the things she watches on television, I, I mean, I just can't bring myself to watch. Um, man. Uh, and then she doesn't want me in there because I make too many snide remarks. I'm like banned from the room during Project Runway, which, man. But, but pick a couple things you like. I mean, right now we're, we're watching Monk. You know, it's a great series. What's that series with Patrick Jane? She loves Patrick Jane. Um, what's that series? Mentalist. You know, there's a lot of stuff that's, that's decent you can watch together. Uh, we pay for VidAngel. Um, it's like $11 a month, and, and you can, you know, dial out anything you want. Because, like, most of the stuff I like to watch needs stuff dialed out of it. Get VidAngel. Spend 10 bucks a month. Watch, watch some stuff together. Um, begin to live on a schedule. Budget your time. Get out of bed so that you have more productive hours. I can't emphasize enough how important this is that we purposely make time. Purposely make time. Uh, there's a second way to fight against taking each other for granted. And here's number two. Uh, purposely look and notice things that matter to your spouse. We won't turn there in the interest of time, but Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 3.51, mine eye affecteth mine heart. I mean, Jeremiah looked out at what the Babylonians had done to Jerusalem, to the temple, to his people, and it moved him to weep because he took time to look at it. Um, and it will move us to love more and appreciate more when we purposely look for and look at and notice and pay attention to things that matter to our spouse. Purposely. Uh, guys were probably really bad at that. And in most ladies' case, you do notice, but you think in your mind, well, that's his job anyway. And you are right, it is his job. But you know what? Noticing makes a huge difference. It helps, affects your heart. Did your spouse do anything with their hair, their clothing, their makeup? Did they do anything in the yard with a car, with the kids around the house? Did they do the laundry, make dinner? Did they clean up? Did they help with the kids? It helps me just simply when I open my drawer and see clean clothes stacked in there. And I do. I just stop and think, you know, Lord, thank you for my wife. Um, mine eye affecteth mine heart. And so if we grow apart and we grow distant instead of close and cold instead of warm, 
uh, it's our own fault. We need to purposely choose fighting to fight against taking our spouse for granted. And then there's a last thing, and it's right there in Ephesians 4, verse 30 and 32, 32. He says, Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you're sealed unto the day of redemption. He's, uh, there's a lot of things that grieve the Holy Spirit. And here, he's going to particularly list internal things and relationship things. He says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor, evil speaking, put, it, put away from you with all malice. Be kind one to another, tenderhearted forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Here's the third thing. Purposely choose to become a good forgiver. Purposely choose to keep your mind right. Purposely choose to not grow apart. Purposely choose to become a good forgiver. Listen, you're never going to join two independent lives and not have both of you at times say and do dumb stuff. Uh, Most of the time when we get married, we're young. And when you're young, you do even more dumber stuff. Um, listen, we're all set up to do dumb stuff. Husbands and wives don't agree about the physical relationship. We don't agree about how to spend our money. We don't agree about how to handle children. We don't agree to how, how to handle each other's family. I mean, we're set up to say and do a lot of dumb stuff. And I'm not advocating doing dumb stuff. Uh, I'm just saying that it has happened in the past. It's going to happen in the future. And in practical terms, what that means is that we're going to need to learn to forgive. Because we're all going to need it. And if you don't, if you don't, bitterness and anger and resentment is just going to build up in your heart. I've literally had people come to me for marriage counseling who have a list at home of the things their spouses said to them. They didn't have a list of the things about their spouse that they love and appreciate, but they did have a list of what their spouse said to them that bothered them. Uh, Not surprisingly, I told them to throw away the list. Um, Listen, it is easy to talk about forgiveness. Uh, It was very hard to do. And it's very hard to do because sometimes... I mean, the offenses that we need to forgive, I mean, sometimes they're actually, they're, they're big. But if we don't, we'll never have the relationship we need. Uh, three or four years ago on Sunday nights, I actually spent six weeks uh, talking about how to forgive because uh, we're commanded to forgive. If you uh, want to learn how, pull it up. It's on our podcast and website. Uh, but here, we're just simply told to forgive for Christ's sake. Not because your spouse deserves it. We're supposed to forgive like God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven us. Which means that fully forgive. None of us have been offended by our spouse anywhere near as much as we've offended God. And God, through Christ, forgave us. And so, through Christ, there's a way we can forgive our spouse. And being a good forgiver is a key to keeping our marriage warm and making it grow closer. Uh, I, I wish I could get through your minds and, and, and hearts that if you don't invest in your marriage like I'm talking about, you don't keep your mind right and you don't purposely make time and, and you don't purposely work to be a good forgiver, uh, listen, your relationship, that's, it's not going to go anywhere good. I know you can stay married, which is a good thing, but how about staying married and being happy? 
How about staying married and enjoying life? How about staying married and enjoying your spouse? How about staying married and having a marriage your kids can look at and say, you know, that's what I want. And uh, I believe through Christ, regardless of what's happened, I believe that can happen. Uh, You should have uh, those sheets. And uh, if you would, write down any question that you feel like you'd like to hear answered next week. Uh, Write down your opinion on whether you'd like to uh, have a week on uh, biblical perspective on divorce. And uh, write that on there. Drop your questions in the box. Uh, God bless you. You're dismissed.